Welcome to Nutritank's podcast. When you tune in, you're going to listen to a fantastic array of speakers speaking about things in the following fields such as food, farming, nutrition, lifestyle medicine and other areas of health. We can't wait to have you with us on this journey. Millennials, coddled entitled, narcissistic, work shy and bloody lazy. We want to redeem millennials and give ourselves a good reputation. We have poured endless passions and hard work into Nutritank and this podcast. We hope you learn and enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to Nutritank's podcast. Today we're going to be having a speaker who's going to tell us all about the world of digital health. Dr. Sohaib Imtiaz is a doctor, NHS clinical entrepreneur fellow and most recently has become part of an expert group exploring the role of AI strategy in the NHS. He also holds a master's in public health and spent a year at Imperial College Business School where he developed an interest in digital health. Dr. Imtiaz is particularly interested in lifestyle factors such as sleep, nutrition, exercise and their interaction with health. He is a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and Director of Digital Innovation at the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine. He is passionate about developing technologies such as apps and wearables with the overall aim of improving our health and reducing the burden of chronic disease. So let's welcome Dr. Imtiaz. Hey, Dr. Sahab, could you please just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and why you're on the show today? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, so, I'm a doctor, um, currently on my um, F3 year, um, and I have a background in an interest in digital health and technology, as well as lifestyle medicine, and I'm on the podcast. Um, so, I've completed medical school in Manchester um, and I also undertook a master's in public health. Um, with that, I took a year out to go to Imperial Business School where I got more immersed in the world of startups and technology and innovation. Um, and I'd always had an interest in nutrition and exercise and sleep, um, but I didn't really have a formal term back at university. Um, so when I graduated, there was a new diploma in lifestyle medicine. Um, which I undertook and fortunately passed. Um, and that gave me an opportunity to get involved more in this new sphere of lifestyle medicine, which I understand Nutritank is focusing on. Um, I'm also part of this clinical entrepreneur program, which is kind of like a new fellowship slash program where doctors are being trained to be uh, more commercial and learn about technology and innovations and um, sport uh, sports doctors in their ventures. Brilliant. And so, speaking of your time at Manchester as a medical student, do you think you were a health-conscious medical student, or did it come for you once you'd graduated and you were working as a doctor? I would say, actually, I probably became most health-conscious when I started university. I mean, I think school was quite a busy, well, I say busy in the sense that you've got applications for med school, you've got A-levels, you've got GCSEs, it's, it's, it comes at you quite quickly. Um, so I think when university started, I took a bit of a step back and that's when I started to be quite healthy, uh, you know, going to the gym quite regularly, ensuring, you know, I have a little ton of veg, um, um, I say sleep, um, varied, but I do love my sleep. Um, I think, I think from birth, 
so sleep was not something I liked, I think. <laughs> uh, always up to my sleep. Um, stress, I guess you you can't control, you can just mitigate. So <laughs> with med school exams coming, it's, it's, hard, it's a hard one uh, to control. But yeah, I'd say I've been healthy for over 10 years. Amazing. So uh, you started your healthy habits at the start of uni, and so they're quite sustainable for you now. Could you tell our listeners and um, perhaps um, other NHS workers who may be listening to this any top tips you have for maintaining a healthy lifestyle? Well, I'll be honest, it's difficult as a doctor when I started F1. Um, just, just the rotors, the nights, the long shifts, being 12 hours, something my body just wasn't used to. Um, so it's hard to get regularity and have a... Um, you know, set times for things. So I guess you have to be adaptable. Adaptable is the number one tip. Um, you have to mark out in in a two week period or in a month how much exercise you want to try and get in to be healthy. Um, roughly eighty percent you want to be eating healthy, non processed foods. Um, I know sleep can be hard sometimes, but um, trying to sleep on the days you're off, getting your full sleep. Um, so it's more about working out the milestones for like two week or month periods rather than on a day to day basis because things do fluctuate quite a lot Um, so currently for NHS workers I think the number one thing would be I think because obviously everyone's quite stressed and overwhelmed due to COVID um, sleep would be the number one thing followed by ways to relax and de-stress yourself get your mind off what's happening when you're not at work um, so switching off um, and then I think obviously nutrition um, it's difficult because cooking obviously takes time um, and a lot of places where you can get healthy food are closed at the moment um, so that becomes a difficult trade-off exercise obviously we're allowed to go outside um, to go for a run but people who are used to things like you know playing tennis etc or five-a-side football it becomes they have to adapt to home workouts but sometimes you can be tired from your shift so it can be hard to integrate so i think best would be to be adaptable yeah no that's such good advice for our listeners and it is such a dynamic time as you said with covid things are changing day to day and so it's quite good to just kind of have a rough template of a routine that you have and can enact at any time but know that if you need to switch things around it's not the end of the world and you're not reliant on it um so that's really good and so what kind of things do you do to switch off so personally um i would i probably double up on things um so fortunately um i think exercise and playing sports for me helps me to relax as well um so it works out well because um, if we say the five pillars of lifestyle medicine are um, healthy relationships, um, which is socializing family and then exercise being one, as well as um, nutrition, sleep, and stress management. Um, exercise helps me to socialize. I can go play tennis with my friends. I can go to the gym. You know, I have a gym buddy. Um, and at the same time, um, so I'm socializing. I've ticked that off. And then I'm also exercising at the same time. Uh, and it's also managing my stress. So I would say mostly sports is my way of, sure. of relaxing. But I love diving into um, entrepreneurial activity, reading about tech innovations, um, following 
people who are talking about the future of different um, industries and, and that weirdly helped me to relax. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. I think you and I, Sahib, are slightly geeky in that sense. I think <laughs> food for your thought is something that can be really inspiring and it promotes creativity within yourself. So when you come across something interesting or inspiring, you really do kind of get stuck in and you feel quite calm, don't you? And um, yeah, your creative brain wavelengths are just going off trying to think of ideas around it. So I couldn't agree with you more. I find it relaxing too. Um, but it's that fine balance of being a workaholic and uh, relaxing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely wouldn't advise always working. I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm, I'm the hardest worker in the room. Uh, I'm somewhat, I think I work smart, I would say, um, more than hard. I do, I do like my time off. Uh, I will be lazy, I will lazy around. <laughs> I, I'm quite social, um, so I love socialising, like I'll, any event. That's what I lo- love about entrepreneurship, actually, and mm-hmm. lifestyle medicine. I love the fact that you can meet so many cool people, you can go to like cool events that are happening, at, you, know, um, you know, there's a lot of cool gym spaces, um, uh, restaurants, um, a lot of entrepreneur events are in cool little hubs in, in London. Um, so I love getting the train down from Manchester and exploring, meeting new people. Um, so that's a big aspect of it, actually. Yeah. And before we get stuck into your clinical entrepreneurship work um, I, that we all really want to hear about, what advice would you give to medical students and other healthcare students as well as professionals on how to work smart and balance work and play? So I think it works differently for everyone, depending on what people's strengths and weaknesses are, or what their priorities are in life. Um, but um, I think it would be to have a regular uh, timetable. Um, planning your day um, really helps. Um, if you have certain deadlines coming up, you can prioritize those compared to less urgent ones. So I think the number one thing would be to have a to-do list or or a vision board where you have certain milestones you want to hit by a certain month or um, you know a certain year. Obviously, you can't really plan for the future because things change so quickly. But having a rough idea, you don't have to go um, um, so rigid about things. Mm-hmm. But I think having a timetable really helps, and doing a small amount regularly because um, compounding is the principle that really does work you you start growing your network you come on a podcast you make an appearance you you know study for something and um if you do those things regularly before you know it things um have compounded and the impact is a lot more exponential than you previously thought absolutely and even if people do maybe want a more rigid approach do you have any apps or templates that you can recommend for habit tracking or making this timetable, or any specific so, methods? So I'll be obviously slightly biased. Um, I do work for a startup called O-Waves, um, which is an app around calendar planning for students, um, around the principles of lifestyle. Um, so essentially, we're, we're still developing the next versions of it, which, is, which are gonna be more social. Um, but you can set your day with, um, so it's a, <laughs> It's a day plan which is in the form of a circle um, with sunset and um, um, sunset and dawn um, represented on there, and you can drag and drop 
what activities you're doing for that 24 hour period you can set your days say every monday is the same or whatever um and it's it is a calendar which is in, integrated with google calendars as well as uh, outlook um and as well as apple watch um so it's, it's a great tool in terms of it's uh well-designed calendar which without too much information or writing can help you plan what you're doing and visually represent that um so i would say obviously a waves app (laughs) definitely download that um the social feature is going to be quite cool on that otherwise there are other apps to-do list um some people like keeping diaries physically as well um um i think there's quite a few people in medical school always writing things down um, I wasn't one of those, <laughs> but um, it works for some people. Um, but yeah, definitely. Um, I think nowadays phones, I even have, I'll be honest, like I even use Alexa. Um, if I have a meeting coming up or something, or like if I've been on a phone call, I'm in my problem is you have to be in your room or close to it. I'll be like, okay, remind me on Thursday at this time. And it will remind me because I don't have to do the whole data entry. Yeah. Lazy. Yeah. <laughs> Quite lazy. So with voice, I can just quickly just transfer that piece of information, offload it. We all need a friend like Alexa. <laughs> when I'm alone in my room at uni, she really is my comfort. She keeps <laughs> she keeps me together. <laughs> Best Christmas present. No, it really is useful to have these AI adjuncts um obviously sometimes you know we want to get away and have a tech detox but sometimes they can really be helpful to enhance our daily productivity so um yeah really agree with you there o waves sounds absolutely brilliant and if you guys are ever looking for some pilot medical students i'm sure the nutritank team would be very interested in having a go with o waves um so yeah yeah. we'd love to work with you on it it sounds really great and the more productive and the easier and the more visual the better i don't know about you but i'm such a visual learner and i just think it's so useful to see things and then you remember them better and it'll help with your daily routine so absolutely sounds great um sorry were you gonna say something yeah i was gonna say thanks i mean we are looking because at the moment we did do a uh, trial with um, students at UC San Diego uh, and they really liked it. Another one we've got a campaign where we're looking at students' routines with quarantine around the world, so we're featuring them. So, I mean, we'd, we'd love to feature one, someone from the Nutritank team. I'll, I'll get in touch with the team and um, um, it would be amazing for us to feedback because we are still developing new features on test flight. So, thanks for that. Yeah, let's do this. Happy to be your guinea pigs. Great. <laughs> Especially if they're benefits. <laughs> Story is great. So, um, on to the big topic of this podcast. Could you define digital health to our listeners who perhaps aren't very um, in the know about it and reference some common examples? I know we've already spoken about Alexa. And interestingly, when I was on my uh, medical humanities intercalation last year at Imperial, where you also went to Interclate, but in the management school, um, so nice common ground there. We went to this exhibition at the Science Museum on um, the science behind longevity, and I remember there was uh, an exhibit showing how Alexa can be used to help the elderly in social isolation to help them with tasks, date orientation, 
reminding them if there's some memory issues and just generally being a voice to them and updating them on the news around them. And also, obviously, you can call people through it so they can call their loved ones with ease and not have to fumble around on a phone. So I found that really inspiring and it just goes to show just how diverse the functions of tech can be in um, the health space. And um, especially at a time like now with COVID, um, AI uh, partners like Alexa can be really useful. So um, please tell our listeners about your work with digital health and any cool case studies that you want to share. Yeah, sure. I mean, that sounds like an interesting exhibition. I'm actually quite interested in the longevity space myself, so um, it'd be interesting to catch up on what else was there. But um, ultimately, digital health is um, it's a coin term which has become more popular in the last three to four years, um, which essentially marries health with technology. Um, so any company operating in the space of virtual reality, augmented reality, um, as well as artificial intelligence, um, apps for telemedicine, wearable sensors, they will become digital health um, companies. So um, it's health being delivered through a technology, I would say as a definition, but it's broader than that because it also involves things like genomics, precision medicine, personalized medicine. Um, it, It can be quite a broad term used in different ways. Um, now, obviously, other industries have been using technology for a long time. Healthcare has been quite slow, um, especially with doctors being involved. And that change in the last few years has been a big push towards innovation. Um, and what that's done is it's, it's sprung up a lot of startups in the space, um, a lot of lifestyle startups. So, for example, I think the most well-known would be, I don't know if this is going to be controversial to say, but Babylon is actually... Um, probably one of the most well-known startups in the space um, and what they are is virtual consultations for patients but they're also developing an AI system which helps read people's expressions and tells the doctor what, what did they understand the question it kind of augments your consultation so throughout you're getting as a doctor when you're consulting you're also getting um, prompts so it makes things a lot smoother and more efficient I would say but there are obviously other startups as well. Um, recently, I think um, there's ones that are doing well. Unfortunately, what COVID has done uh, is it has accelerated a lot of technologies because we've needed them before. It was like, okay, that's a nice to have, but not must have. All of a sudden, all of these technologies that we've been talking about have become from nice to have to need to have. And because of that requirement, people have started signing up, um, systems have approached these companies and took them on. Um, so Babylon being one, there, there are obviously a plethora of different companies. Um, Ada is another one that's in Germany, is kind of like a chatbot, um, which helps come up with like a diagnosis. I don't know how accurate that is at the moment. Um, so a lot of companies seem to be A, working in telemedicine, virtual consults, um, B, um, things like genomics, so you kind of take a DNA test and then you come back with certain risk factors. That's quite popular. Then you have things like Thriver, which is a, at point, a blood testing service. They post um, um, a fingerprint test to your home and then you get results through an app, I think, within two days. Um, so these things kind of making processes more efficient, but there are more 
cool and interesting things um, that are being developed. I think you said you were interested in mental health. So that's yeah. another big area. Um, there are apps such as MindStrong in Silicon Valley who are working on kind of working out when people are um, going through low mood or mm-hmm. anxious states. Um, there's actually there was, there's an app that was not an app. It was there was a company that was developing um, using data from voice to work out voice as well as your social media streams working out when people are likely to relapse say mm. they've already got depression or anxiety that's pretty cool because you can intervene before um crisis they, mm. yeah they get exactly so so it's quite broad this is wellness i think that's more closely related to lifestyle medicine where you're trying to optimize your health trying to become a, a better version of yourself or, you know um you know the one percent a lot of elite athletes you, you models you've got all these things so there's gonna be more in the kind of skincare and um, nutrition, exercise, you know, helping people sleep better, reduce stress. So a lot of wearable sensors I didn't mention. So the Aura Ring, I use mine personally. That's a wearable sensor which helps track my sleep, my heart rate variability, which is a good indicator of my stress and what's happening in my life. So you've got that kind of stuff. And then you've got the more diagnostic diagnostic stuff, which is quite high-end. And then you've got the virtual consultations and how to kind of help doctors. So it's very broad and it'd probably take me hours to go into yeah. the nuances of each. No, it's cool to just say a few of your favourites. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit more about the Aura Ring? Because I'm actually really interested in that. Okay, yeah, sure. So um, it's interesting actually because um, is it Steve Powis who's on the panel these days with COVID? Um, I think he comes for the briefing every day. Um, the chief medical officer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I actually showed him the ring as well. I was at a public health conference last year. Mm. Um, I actually showed him the ring. I was quite excited because I think I just, I just bought it. What did um, Steve have to say? Yeah, he was. I think he, he wasn't that familiar with it, obviously. I mean, I think he works more in the kind of evidence-based realms of things. Um, and obviously, it is quite an expensive ring, so it's not something you could really roll out in the NHS. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, because you were talking about how sensors are changing our capacity to track people at home. And I was like, actually, I can actually, you know, measure so many metrics now with this. Um, so the Aura Ring is um, out of, um, it's, it's, a, it's a Finnish company, but they also operate in the States as well. Um, they've basically come out with a ring, which tracks your sleep, but tracks your heart rate variability and temperature whilst you're sleeping as well, and your mm-hmm. respiratory rate. Um, I'm not 100% obviously sure. I've not looked at the studies of how accurate that is. But it's got a lot of traction in um, a lot of um, digital health enthusiasts, and I've seen doctors use it as well. Um, I think it was quite new when I had it. No one really had it in, in the UK, uh, but it's more widely used in America. Um, and it's quite good because it gives you a sleep score. Um, I can work out. Okay, I drank. I used. I drank coffee quite late, so okay, that's why I had less REM sleep. Um, you can work out. It's personalized, um, so you can work out for yourself okay i worked out too late maybe my sleep was affected due to many factors so you can even keep a diary and it gives you a sleep score every day and a readiness score so um you can work out okay today i'm gonna take it easy i worked out too hard yesterday and it's quite good for that that's really cool um i remember i last year when i was at imperial i went and was quite involved with the enterprise lab um, and went to quite a few of the entrepreneurship uh, programs and networking events. And I met one of the founders of the startup um, 
LYS, or you say it LIST Technologies, I'm not sure how you say it. And it's also very similar to the Aura Ring, but it's like a little circular wearable clip uh, that you put on your necklace or your shirt, collar or whatever. And it tracks the lights that you get um, in your daily routine and the light and it reminds you to go outside into the light and to help uh regulate your circa your circadian rhythm um and then it tracks that for you and you can realize that if you're in a room that's really dingy with no um like natural light that this could quite impact my um sleep later on i need to go for a walk really quickly that kind of thing um so it was really interesting i played around with it for a while um but yeah i can't say it's stuck with me i think it needs to be gl- that's the thing i think with wearables it just needs to really suit yeah. the individual this was something that i was worried i was going to lose it on the tube it was expensive i clipped onto my necklace i was worried it was going to break my necklace i don't wear shirts i'm not a guy all this kind of thing it's so personal and i guess with the product design you really have to think about your user group um and so something like a ring i think is probably really useful because it's not you know you don't really take it off unless you're scrubbing up for surgery or yeah cooking (laughs) covid exactly all these different all these different circumstances so really interesting to hear um quite a cool innovation listen i've not actually i think i've heard about it but i've not obviously I've not tried it, but circadian rhythms is actually something we're always is working on as well. So we want help help people um, and students to adjust, you know, when they study, when they sleep, and looking at the research behind circadian rhythms and performance. And I think it's just so important that your user participation group is actually students because if you can try and change their habits whilst they're in university, you can really help them when they get into the outside world and have even more external stresses because university is a bit of a bubble, even though it is stressful, it is a bubble um, and there are a lot of safety nets. And I think that your circadian rhythm is so important to kind of regulate. And I think of all the pillars, since I was a kid, I'm the opposite to you. I've actually had issues with sleep because I'm just quite a hyperactive person. Um, (laughs) So um, I'd say that training myself at uni has been really useful uh, to help with my sleep. And I've seen that when I have a bad night's sleep, you have a knock-on effect with your nutrition. I'm reaching for more processed sugary foods the next day to give me that quick surge of energy reaching for more caffeine and then I don't get to sleep that night and it becomes a cycle and I hear so many stories like this and so it's so important to know your own circadian rhythm and try and control what you can control within your routine to optimize it so um thank you for sharing around that um so in terms of sports I know a few of our listeners will want to hear this um, could you tell us a bit about your experience and opinions with any um, optimizing wearables when it comes to sports and fitness, um, such as the Apple Watch? I know there are there are it isn't just the Apple Watch. There are loads of other fantastic watches, um, and just any of the pros and cons that um, are apparent with these watches, besides their price and affordability. Because I mean, on the lower end of the range, you've got the Fitbit. Yeah. And I know a lot of people have got the Fitbit or versions of it. So, yeah, tell me your thoughts on it. So obviously, wearables did explode uh, in the last few years. Um, they're in the space. Um, 
Apple Watch, I think, is dominating the market. Um, but Fitbit also, obviously, more affordable, um, probably more visible um, at the moment. Fitbit actually just got bought by, um, is, it, is it Google? Did Google buy them recently? I'm not sure. Yeah, so Google acquired Fitbit, so there's going to be some cool things coming out there. Um, but Apple Watch has been um, the most popular device, I think, because it's probably really well designed, so people want to use it. Um, now, for optimizing health, obviously, elite apps devices, um, chest straps, and uh, you know, to work out their heart rate in real time. Um, they also have um, devices to work out their VO2 max. Um, so, there's a lot of um, technology probably not available to the general public that athletes are using to kind of get those one gains, but normal people probably we don't really need that because they're not operating on that level. Yeah. Um, so having wearables are getting a lot better. So now your smartphone is able to do a lot of things that wearables previously did. Um, obviously counting steps. Um, there's apps like Sleep Cycle as well. They're not accurate they are, but um, that people do use. Um, a good wearable does help. So obviously I used the Fitbit previously um, and that was useful for things like VO2 max to see how my fitness is improving. Um, and then I looked at um, something for when I'm working on the gym for um, working on the reps, you know, muscular brain. Um, and there was an armband I was looking at, but it just wasn't practical. Um, um, and then the aura ring I use for sleep. But the problem sometimes is with these devices is that um, they're not 100% accurate. Um, so you have to take a bit of caution with interpreting the measurements, but they are getting better. And for some people, actually, knowing their sleep score, what's happening, there's a study on this, that it's causing them health anxiety. Yeah, I was um, about to bring that up. To get mm-hmm. these perfect numbers. Because mm. they're looking at the numbers all day. Um, You're so in competition with yourself. With yeah. So the community in that, I was trying to track everything like crazy. But then I was, then I thought to myself, okay, it's pretty cool, but like, what is, what value they actually adding? Okay, I can... I know where I am, but I was getting a bit obsessive, so I've scaled down from that self-quantified movement. Um, I mean, it's pretty cool being able to work out, okay, your mood, how it correlates with if you've exercised, um, what you've eaten, your sleep, and, and you can make both correlations. There's an app called Gyroscope. That's quite cool. You can enter so many things, but the problem is that I think only we lack the time to be tracking so many things. So in the future, wearables is seamless tracking where you put something on and it alerts you only with notifications that are important so you don't have to physically go make a spreadsheet or be checking every single day it gives you maybe like a little summary or the most important fact but okay you're really low on sleep right now i think you know you might might find correlations okay you may be more likely to get migraines or um people health conditions and i think that that's what will be truly transformational but at the moment so Obviously, it's a big space. Google has bought Fitbit, so um, people are using wearables. Strava is an app, which is quite popular these days with the 5K challenge. Um, so I think apps, obviously, everyone downloads, so they're more popular. Wearables being a hardware device, people have to buy and can be expensive, but they do have a good return on investment if you use them for the right things because um, we don't need to go to a doctor now to get, even get our blood pressure. There's a watch that takes your blood pressure. Um, so it's getting these devices are getting smaller, um, independent of doctors and um, you can record vital signs that you previously couldn't which is 
amazing for optimizing health because you're not only looking for the continuum of sickness, but you're looking for wellness. You're seeing how far away can you get from getting into a disease state. Um, this continuous glucose monitoring, that's big. That was big in the last year. Um, of how after you eat something, it tells you a spike in glucose levels. So you can work out how everyone reacts so differently to different foods. I mean, that's personalized. You go to a doctor, a doctor won't be able to remember what every individual patient, how they react to a food. They'll be going off guidelines. Guidelines are very generic. Um, and I think medicine needs to get more personalized and wearables is the open door for that to happen. I couldn't agree more. And it will really reduce the burden and saturation of healthcare professionals' work so they can really deal with the specialist yeah. cases that require a multidisciplinary team. But you're right, for general diagnostics and um, um, OBS, like blood pressure, SATs and whatnot, it really is useful to have these parameters that you can do at home by yourself. And it empowers the patient, it empowers the person, patient person, you know, um, not everyone's a patient, exactly. And so it can be really useful to just keep track of your health but obviously there is that flip side which we all need to be aware of of where you can become obsessive and um always in competition with yourself and perhaps others because i know that people start competing with their friends with yeah. steps and on apple watch you know you can see yeah, it's crazy it's crazy <laughs> or like i know my friend was like in competition with her dad and they were just they ended up hardly sitting down all day because they were just you know challenging each other with their steps you picked the one that worked. Gamification is the biggest driver of health, weirdly. Like, we want to compete. We're competitive beings. It, it, I think it's probably because we watch, growing up watching, like, the Olympics and sports stars being idols for many people. But, yeah, steps. Sometimes I'm like, people will compete on steps. But, which, which, I mean, it's great to look at, but what does steps actually means? I mean, no one's really looked into that. Obviously, it means you've been more active, but say someone's done a 45-minute hit workout, is that more effective than someone who's walked 7,000 steps at a snail's pace? Um, I don't know. It's too linear. We're not flexible. Like, even with eating, it's very like, oh, did you get? But it's, it's, too, it's too rigid. I think things need to be a bit more fluid because you have to be able to compare things. Of course. Like, of course. You've got arthritis, hip pain, and you're walking 10,000 steps or, run, or running. I don't know how good that is for you. I know, and it's something that we really believe at, at Nutritank yeah. when um, you're advising patients around yeah. diet and lifestyle. You need to meet that individual where they're at and hear about their context and their yeah. story, and it all has to be suitable and appropriate for them to achieve. And the comparison aspect of things isn't always useful because it can put you in a really kind of dark position where you're never really comfortable in your own skin so um it's really important to be on the side of caution with them because what i'm hoping for is some type of system because not everyone technology has become well even for being healthy right now because of covid people are using apps um to work out online fitness classes on instagram a lot of lives um but there needs to be a way we can an app almost where you enter say so you've got a rotator cuff tear or whatever and it excludes certain exercises for you. I mean, that could easily be done with technology and data. And um, I think you're onto something there for sure. Yeah. I really think... Maybe I should sell my... <laughs> yeah, we should go into business together. <laughs> yeah. But it's the same, same with nutrition. Yeah, personalised. allergies or dislikes and you can mm. come up with a healthy meal that's tasty without things 
And I think that's hard for a nutritionist or a personal trainer to do for so many people because they are still reliant on their experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas a data system, you feed in all these experienced individuals and professionals like minds and then you work out, okay, what's the best routine for, for everyone or people can put their preferences in and it's very hard to do, to sift through all that data as a human. But with technology, we can do that. I couldn't agree more. And it would be so useful for people in terms of their management of chronic disease, um, especially in regards to nutrition. Like when you think of oncology, so um, the specialty of cancer, so many chemotherapy patients. um, We've had someone recently write a blog for us, John Hanley, who runs the chemo cookery uh, scheme which basically looks at making food for chemotherapy patients much more palatable and enjoyable because many complain of having that horrible metal taste in their mouth from chemo. And so all the things they once thought they enjoyed, they don't enjoy anymore. And, you know, even healthy food, which they really want to be eating to support their immune system, they're not able to eat just because of this taste they're having. So to have an app which, you know, allows different patient groups based on their chronic condition to, you know, select uh, meals and preferences based on what's healthy for them, but based on what's tasty for them so that they can actually improve their emotional and and mental well-being when it comes to food, um, I think would be really useful. I think um, you summarised that really well. Uh, Mental health, talk about mental health, um, it's the next frontier. Um, We've looked at physiological health and mental health is where a lot of um, companies and organisations are working on now. Um, And um, it's something which probably highlighted due to COVID as well. Um, But I think dealing with anxiety and depression symptoms as they're happening or early on will help. as always, we're actually looking at mental health as well. Um, we do consider ourselves a mental health startup for students, so we are looking at aspects of coaching and um, designing a social feature which might help with that. So um, that's something which will be quite prominent going forward. Yeah, that sounds amazing. You guys are really onto something good. And I remember um, when NutriTank, uh, so myself, Ali, and my co-founder in when we were invited to speak at Royal Society of Medicine's Medical Innovation Summit last March, we met incredible mental health startups who were doing great work in this space. So we met uh, the founders of BioBeats, which um, essentially, oh. yeah, do you know them? They, they've, they've just been bought by um, Medopad, who've changed their name also, so they're not called Medopad anymore. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very aware of them. They've just actually just been acquired by Medopad. Oh, awesome. Yeah. No, I was yes, really impressed. So really well. I was really impressed with the science um, around it. It was, it was quite complicated um, hearing it from the medical perspective. And, you know, such brains went into it. But what it essentially does for our listeners, it's a, an app and a wearable device that collects health data like heart rate, your sleep patterns, activity and mood. And it's all collected in real time. Um, and then it allows yeah. your baseline well-being to be uh, recorded so it can provide uh, well-being support. And um, it does it in a very clever way with biofeedback, uh, which I found <laughs> found very complicated to understand. I remember speaking to them and, yeah, the science blew my mind a bit. But it's just, yeah, it's really cool. Um, it's evidence-based and it's brilliant, especially for corporate companies as well 
to make sure yeah. that their workers are um, supportive of their mental well-being and things can yeah. be controlled and, you know, testing baselines. So um, really amazing. I think they've, they've advanced them because the new headband is quite popular um, to help people meditate and sense their brain waves. Wow. Um, and that's been around for quite a few years now. But now we are moving more and more into the space of the brain, which is, I think, fascinating. The brain, the unknown thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, I really want to pursue a career in psychiatry. So um, mental health tech is something, yeah, right on my agenda. And uh, we also met uh, amazing founders of Helios, uh, which is bringing mental health um, app, bringing a mental health app to children with um uh, depression and anxiety so to help the saturation of CAMS which is the child and adolescent mental health services in our country which unfortunately I've done a bit of work with them in mm, Bristol it's, it's what, exactly what I want to do I want to be a CAMS practitioner but it's such a saturated service and it's really sad for our young mm. people in society that they have to be at crisis really having dark thoughts really doing things to harm themselves quite at end stage you know to get the help because it's so saturated so we really want to be dealing with like you said getting people not as impatient but dealing with them outside in the communities with prevention and so helios is working towards ensuring children young people and adults adults have the best chance of achieving their goals to fill their life's potential through supporting mental health and well-being and we had a go on the app it's super cool they've got this little mental health ninja um um what do you call it those um avatars. yeah that's the word avatars <laughs> those mental health ninja <laughs> i think i'm too involved in the tech <laughs> you read my mind i was like oh what's what is it called? <laughs> i know less about the stethoscope than i do about <laughs> I like it, I like it. Um, yeah, so they've got these really cool avatars that are basically like the practitioner, but not medicalizing it too much. And so this avatar guides them into mindfulness practices and all other things to help with their depression, anxiety, and teach them healthy habits. So massively passionate about it, and I'm going to get the guys on the show as well. That would be amazing, because um, obviously the ones everyone's familiar with are Calm and Headspace, which are, I think, at the moment, free for NHS workers. Um, and they are helping a lot of people um, get some headspace. But there are more, like you've mentioned, innovation developing in the space. And it's interesting that you pointed out such a specific example because um, mental health is so broad. People have ADHD, autism, um, and um, obviously you mentioned insomnia as well. And Sleepio is working on quite a few things as well at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with Always, with Circadian Rhythms, we looked at how even correcting a circadian rhythm can reduce um, symptoms of um, ADHD. Um, that study is what should be done on circadian rhythm. And I spoke to a physician yes, recently in the States, and she actually has bipolar. Right. She's quite, big, she's quite big on Instagram, yeah. So she's always had periods of where she's intense, crazy work, and then periods when she just can't work, and her mood will just fluctuate mm-hmm. like anything. But it's bipolar 2, which isn't as bad as bipolar 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually said... She, to get over it, her primary psychiatrist um, told gave him a, a few medications, but also um, told her she has to plan her day, and that's what she does, and that's the only way she can actually function. Wow. So what's her handle on Instagram for our listeners so they can um, hear more about her so story? It's at Story of Style. Um, she's a gynecologist by background. 
Brilliant. So fascinating. And, you know, it's the power of story and how it's told online as well that's so important to help um, illustrate these amazing technologies and methods that people are managing their illnesses with. So um, really great to connect with as many people as possible. Um, one more thing before uh, we move off the topic of mental health um, that I think everyone will be quite interested to hear about um, speaking at speaking about the kind of severe end of the spectrum when it comes to mental illness such as bipolar and psychosis uh, recently on my psychiatry placement at Bristol um, we had to create a presentation at the end of the placement um, to uh, show our consultants that you know we've been paying attention throughout the placement and engaging in it all and um, yeah I was obviously quite geeky in this placement because it's what I want to do and um, I decided I didn't want to, uh, you know, just look at nutrition because um, I eat, breathe and sleep nutrition. And I am super passionate about digital health as well. So I actually teamed up with a psychologist who was my supervisor. And I did a presentation entitled Want to Know More About Mental Health Digiceuticals. Um, for our listeners, digiceuticals, if you can't already tell, um, it's pharmaceutical, it's playing on pharmaceuticals and um, digital health uh, apps and uh, uh, wearables and whatnot. I didn't coin the term, but it's, yeah, quite a funky word. So I actually looked at a, a company called Game Change, and they are improving lives through virtual reality therapy. And so um, they actually won the National Institute of Health Research's I4I Mental Health Challenge Award. And um, what their aim is, is they want to transform the lives of patients who are living with psychosis by putting really powerful automated virtual reality psychological treatment into NHS mental health services. So um, they take people into this sophisticated uh, simulation of real life scenarios that they find troubling. So um, generally speaking, it's different for everyone, but uh, patients and people who uh, suffer from uh, psychosis, they find the outside world quite anxiety provoking and, you know, everyone has their own individual fears. So um, a therapist, um, still works with you face to face but they use the virtual reality kit to help simulate the situation that you fear so that you can really visualize it and they can help work through it with you to in the aim to actually get you to do this in the real world but first practicing it in the virtual world um, so they've got loads of sites uh, around the UK and um, I just found it absolutely incredible because they were really able to show that they could help people who um, had self-identified anxiety and make their everyday and daily living activities so much easier. So I'm all for VR. Um, that sounds really fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was really cool. Yeah, um, and there are loads of people who are doing stuff. The King's College I IOPNN Virtual Reality Research Lab are helping patients with eating disorders, depression, autism, psychosis, PTSD, paranoia, you name it, by giving them that virtual situation in the safe space with the therapist to help them work through. So, 
yeah really good stuff um so moving on uh from the mental health space because i could talk about it forever um could you tell our listeners a bit more about your work with the nhs clinical entrepreneurship program and what exactly it involves and you know how other clinicians can get involved in it yeah of course um so the program i think was set up about three years ago now and um go um, so the Clinical Entrepreneur Program was set up three, four years ago um, by Professor Tony Young, who wanted to bring in uh, more innovations into the NHS, and he thought um, the clinicians or people working on the front line were better. Um, so what it involves is an interview um, where they, I think, assess you for your entrepreneurial passions and aspirations. If you get selected, then you're part of this network, this group of people who kind of think about things not that traditionally, more about um, how they can make an impact and um, be creative um, and the way we're used to in medical school. Um, so it's quite a cool space, I would say. It provides you with a space of networking with so many different people, but it also provides you with um, a mentor, um, so minding Jack Kreindler, who's in charge of, um, who's actually founded uh, CHHP London, the Centre of Health and Human Performance. That's quite cool that I got to get him. I'm quite lucky. Um, but it provides you with pit stops throughout the year where they teach you how to make a business plan, how to raise funding, um, how to make a pitch, um, marketing, sales, um, everything needed to launch a successful startup. Um, I think the most valuable thing for me the network um, and uh, the title gave opens a lot of doors um, because traditionally you don't expect well what I faced anyway doctors aren't expected to do anything else apart from see patients um, but this opens things up and to get involved um, I think you can search the NHS clinical entrepreneur program on Google you come up with a link with the dates of the next cohort intake when interviews are being held um, and that's the best way just just apply if you're interested in things like technology and um, maybe having your own startup or even bringing an innovation in into your department. It's, it's worth um, applying. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing. And could you tell us a little bit more about your role on the digital and AI expert group? Yes, yeah, so that's quite cool, actually. Um, I was F2 last year and I got to set up a placement with um, public health in my region and the innovation agency so i spent half the week with the innovation agency half the week in public health and um, during those four months um i was part of this digital health and ai as a group as part of this innovations network the uh, academic health science network um so i got to get i got to go to quite a few um events and workshops where there was all these senior um leaders of the nhs who were doing how we can bring AI into the NHS, how best to use it, what is AI, is it ethical, because what the feeling was, last year there was a lot of buzz around AI, I mean everyone was talking about, um, so because private companies were coming up with solutions and they were offering them, but internally, I mean, we didn't really have a, a task group for this, um, it was set up to deal with that, so uh, I went to quite a few cool sessions where people were debating um, biases of AI because for people who don't know artificial intelligence is computer systems that mimic 
um, work normally done by humans. So obviously, so a good example of AI would be voice technology. Another example would be um, recognition images. Um, so uh, for example, people can tag you in photos on Facebook that uses AI systems to work out who's who. Um, automated driverless cars use AI systems, um, so like Tesla, um, and it's becoming more and more incorporated into everyday life and technology. So this is what's coming. A lot of hype as well, I'll admit. Um, but uh, with, with this challenge, the NHS were faced with, um, what do we do with this? How do we procure it? The algorithms are changing all the time. Um, what do we do? Do we assess these technologies regularly? What about data security and the rest of it? So, yeah, I got to be part of quite a few discussions, have my input. Um, um, I got my placement because I think I was interested in computer science and AI for a while. So I've been doing my own reading involved in the space. So um, I got to share what I learned and I thought it was quite valuable. Um, I don't know what the work is being done at, me at the moment. Uh, a lot of the attention has shifted onto COVID. So, Sahib, uh, we've talked about digital health a lot today, and I know that there are quite a lot of guys who are involved in it, and by guys I mean males um, who are involved in it in Silicon Valley. How do you think we can get more females uh, on board? And likewise, how do you think we can get more guys involved in nutrition and lifestyle med? That's a very good question. Um, as you see, most of the CEOs are males in in Silicon Valley, um, and there was, a, there was a culture of um, previously, as you probably see in the news, etc., where females haven't got the opportunities they deserve. Um, there's so many talented females in the space who now are getting opportunities. So I think it's changing. Um, the head of um, 23andMe, she's actually a female. So that's one of the companies which is so big, and um, her sister is also in charge of, of another company. So there are role models there. Um, I think it's through probably highlighting a special fellowship. So sometimes what happens in tech is it's very, um, it's because you've got venture capital, you've got a lot of, um, it, it can be very corporate at times, even though it's, it's a startup world. So sometimes it can make females feel intimidated um, just because of what's gone on previously in the industry. But with things like Founders Fund in London, um, they are championing female founders and um, I think as soon as someone has a role model um, they're more likely to have the confidence to go for things because obviously startups in itself is so unconventional 90% startups fail um, so you have to be a risk taker to go for that um, now if you're not in an environment where you feel comfortable you're less likely to go for that um, so I think it's changing that environment culture and with lifestyle similarly a lot of um, obviously um, traditionally on TV we're used to seeing um female personalities who talk about nutrition um, as well as exercise and wellness. I think wellness is, is probably dominated by um, women um, more, than, more than men. Um, so I think as a male, sometimes you can, you can feel a bit um, how you'll be received by the audience. Um, will people, people generally seem to gravitate towards... Um, um, sometimes female personalities can come across um, traditionally on, on media as more um, emotionally involved. Sure. Um, so I think Instagram being one of the mediums, I think there are studies where like um, a female seem to get better um, engagement rates mm -hmm. compared to males. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I think for males it can be a bit more hesitant um, to talk about these things and they, they avoid it and maybe taking that step so culture change um, absolutely I think if you have models in each that's how you change that and reduce the stigmas about yeah being part of a certain field that hasn't necessarily had your gender represented in high proportions before so really good points there and super useful for our listeners and great thank you and speaking of covid do you know any useful covid apps that you can share yeah, so I, I would say I'd be hesitant to recommend any that aren't recommended by the government. So um, best would be the one recommended, um, which is the COVID tracker. Um, you can search on the App Store, which um, I think um, the UK government has released um, recently, uh, and that's good to track your system. I think it helps you work out um, who in your area, if you've, if you've been around someone who has COVID. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, that feature yet, because sometimes it takes time to roll out the features. but there are some cool ones being used in China, um, uh, which work out, uh, some people might say they're a bit invasive, but they try and anonymize people, but work out. Um, so essentially, if you cross someone, so this is actually a new app being developed by um, Apple um, as well, where you have a QR code on your phone, and as you, tra- as you cross someone, um, within a two meter distance, you exchange QR codes. So later on, if a person positive for COVID and they upload it onto the app, and you'll be notified that someone you came across um, has tested positive. So that helps people stop the spread by being notified before they have symptoms. I think, I think, I think that's, um, that's only possible with tech, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. tagging. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's something which I think we might be having maybe in a few months' time, but I'm not entirely sure. Sure. And so for our listeners, we've kind of gone in the backwards order. Um, let's rewind. Tell us what actually got you into this. Why are you so passionate about computer science, AI, digital health? Um, so I think... Um, Initially, I was always quite interested in in technology and what we can do with it because it makes our life a lot easier. <laughs> and um, I've always been enjoyed social media as well. Um, so I think ultimately I had an interest um, because I think I did well at um, computer science at school, but I chose sciences for A level. Uh, so I think way back like, twelve years ago. Um, I, I, I came top 10 for IT, which um, I think, but the subject, but I love health and medicine, obviously, is the, is the um, hallmark for health. So I want to learn about how can you, about the human body. Um, and then this kind of passion was really actually in business school. So when I went to Imperial, that year was the pivotal year when I was like, wait, um, I enjoy this and I think when, when I had that feeling and it was that going to all these networking events where all these people were doing so many cool, cool things in the space, um, it just got me involved again and, and um, I wanted to help make an impact. I just saw the power of how technology is controlling our lives in terms of it's, it's everywhere um, and especially the stories of Silicon Valley, I'll be honest, like they really inspire me mm. of, of these companies that have changed the way we live, breathe, travel, eat, 
I mean, right now, not just we're, we're at home. If we didn't have these innovations, I mean, how would life life would be so different? I'm completely operating from home. But delivery apps, we've got you know grocery shopping, we communicate with friends. I mean, I'm, I'm on house party quite a lot these days to socialize. Probably socialize more <laughs> with lockdown because because it's become normal behavior. Yeah. Or video calling would be a bit invasive, like unless you're close friends. Of course, I'm going to be like, hey, you're on video. Yeah. How else would we be doing this uh, podcast so high? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, technology. So it mm. does save a lot of time for busy people. Like, we're so busy these days, everyone's, no one's got time. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's becoming more behavior. If you, even if your friends aren't that close, just be like, hey, drop in to house party or whatever and just talk about that, that human connection. So, uh, I think it's connected the world, um, and it's uh, it kind of is inspiring because anything's possible. Because I think traditionally we're taught path you, you take off these things, your life's already set for you. But what I love about technology is that it, it develops so quickly and it's so uncertain. It could completely fail or it could blow up, and I think I love the thrill of that. <laughs> the uncertainty. <laughs> The, yeah, the uncertainty and the grey area and whether robots are going to kill us and take over the world or whether they're going to be our helpful assistants like baby Alexa. <laughs> like Alexa. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, if, if it can improve your life. I mean, sometimes I'm thinking, if something can remind me, if it was like a wearable that could like offload a lot of our memory, we could be reminded when we meet someone. It could be <laughs> helping us in real time. I know, when you meet someone at a networking event, you're like, oh, I know their name, I just can't think of it. Can I get away with having this conversation without actually saying their yeah, name? avoiding the name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so speaking of all the people in Silicon Valley, if you were to say, like, I'm going to ask you, who do you fanboy the most over? Who's your number one? So I, I think this would be unpopular. I would have said Elon Musk just because of how he's not popular right now because of what he's been tweeting. I think recently he got a lot of hate on Twitter. Um, but I just love the fact he's so um, not only ambitious, but he just he just goes for it. He, he is he is someone who's, who's, who's quite brave, and he, he just wants he has endless possibilities in his mind. He doesn't let his mind limit what's possible, and that's interesting because I think most people in life tell you. Um, okay, that's stupid, that won't work, how's it practical? For a lot of ideas I had, that's what I heard. But he's someone who just goes and does it and gets the crazy experts on board and, and um, gets things done. So I think it, it would have been Elon Musk, but recently I've been reading this book, um, No Filter, um, by um, Inside Story of Instagram, that just got published, so I interviewed Sarah Fryer um, this week. And um, Kevin Sistrong, who's the founder of Instagram, um, he's he's quite inspiring as well with with um, his vision, what it was for Instagram originally. He, he didn't want it to be a marketing platform, but a, an outlet for creativity and human connection. And he made people who otherwise may have, um, you know, not had may have had difficult living conditions to become almost um, Instagram stars who can you know show their painting or their creative work um, and um, that power of connection through from remote areas so I think he's, he's also there and I think there's this quite a few people so um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, 
I know what you mean. You can go on. So many inspiring people. And um, we'll be sure to put all those people in the show notes so our listeners can look into them. And so to wrap up, for medical students who and other students and young people who are interested in digital health, how can they get involved? So I think a lot of universities now have med tech societies, um, which have developed, I think, since I graduated. So best would be to approach them, um, maybe start one if there already isn't one, and reach out to people. I think in this day and age, you have to be on LinkedIn. So being on LinkedIn, I think, will be my strongest advice. A lot of the things I got involved with was people reaching out to me from LinkedIn because they saw my interest in the in the area. Um, because um, a lot of senior clinicians aren't really involved with technology at the moment. It's increasing, definitely, as it becomes more trendy. Um, but um, because back in the day when they were training, it wasn't really seen as part of medicine. Seems very separate from medicine. Same as nutrition. Yeah, same with nutrition. I mean, that's the thing. I did my SSC on student second year or first year on like dark chocolate and the effect it has physiologically. And everyone was like, what? Is that even a medical topic? Um, And I did one on obesity. um, Done quite a few different ones. Unbelievably relevant. (laughs) Yeah. I know it's it's seen as alternative science it's seen as alternative yeah. health and it is actually part of mainstream health so which is great with lifestyle medicine what Nutritank exactly. is doing because it's mainstream it's become mainstream because there's so many GPs that went so I became part of the initial movement about two years ago when the BSLM was setting up and there was a massive blurry line between um, alternative medicine and lifestyle medicine and people confused like okay does this count does this not and you just had all these people debating um and now it's kind of become a field of its own exactly and i know you're involved with the american society of lifestyle medicine too aren't you yeah so that was because i was on my elective um and i was doing my elective was in dermatology um yes yeah, so i was doing my elective in dermatology because i love tech so i loved all the different laser machines and stuff they were using so I'd chosen dermatology because I was thinking of the most tech savvy field <laughs> I was trying at that point I was like okay, probably do dermatology so I was on my elective and at that point I had obviously had extra time and I was interested in lifestyle and before starting F1 I came across the American College of Lifestyle Medicine so I started doing their CME modules to learn more about nutrition exercise and as I came back as an F1 I think two months later BSLM launched and they leveraged the same curriculum so I was like, the timing was perfect. Um, so I was, I'd already done the studying and the exam was nine months, in nine months time. So I gave the exam and luckily became the first cohort of quote unquote board certified lifestyle physicians. Brilliant. It is amazing. And it seems that the state is ahead of the UK, especially in med education, as well as um, pro- pockets of practice that are innovative in the States. So I know that at medical schools, there are already healthcare entrepreneurship modules that are part of the mainstream curriculum as well as med tech. So tell us about what you think where um, the UK can catch up and things like that. Yeah, definitely. So Stan- actually something that's a side to the law is Stanford. Stanford have an MD, MBA program. They also have fellowships and entrepreneurship for doctors um, and in- innovation as well, um, product design. So I think obviously Stanford being at the edge of Silicon Valley, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, America 
just moved quite fast because um, being involved in O waves, I was involved with. I was friends with Reagan, who's a preventive medicine specialist in in the states, and she's actually just launched a digital health track for medical students at um, her, at the University of Colorado, um, and she asked me to be a speaker, so I recorded an hour or two hour presentation from my room in Manchester, and it's part of their curriculum now. Um, so it's quite cool how quickly they just get things done. Um, she's rolled it out at the medical school. I think it's, I think it was, it was this month that they went live with it. Um, so I think they're just used to, um, I think, coming up with ideas and they give they have the entitlement to just fly with things. Mm-hmm. I think here, I think here, unfortunately, even people adopting on social media can get tricky. Mm-hmm. I think you've got the Daily Mail next the next day reporting. Um, on how is it ethical? It's it's. I think people don't like being different, and that's what what we get told on the program that network like Americans, um, just because they, they are a lot more open and they're not um, shy. There's no limit. Mm. Yeah, there's no limit. I think they're very direct American. Um, yeah. Americans, and they just say what they're interested in. Whereas sometimes with. Um, you know, the Brits, when it comes to networking, there's so much small talk you need to have before actually getting to the meat of the conversation and you want to work with as many people as possible and you want to hear their great ideas, but you know, you have to... (laughs) Work your way, the way you're taught from, like medical school, like, you know, you have to email your your placement supervisor so much in advance and you have all these intricacies and politeness. And so in terms of even time, it takes so long doing that, that the actual... The, the, the action part of it gets delayed and you're too tired by the time you <laughs> to, to actually produce well then they're like hey go let's meet you you okay we like you let's go let's get started yeah so, I, I love that kind of independence yeah no I'm with you um, obviously a balance of it so we don't get yeah. kicked out and yeah piss people off but definitely good to be disruptive um, but not border on rude <laughs> yeah, yeah. definitely like, number one thing that's we get taught in negotiation and Uh, building relationships because that's your number one thing totally um and showing compassion and engagement being interested as well as interesting and uh completely with you and it would just be so useful for this to be part of mainstream curriculum as well all the stuff we're talking about today fostering relationships working in teams um you know all the healthcare entrepreneurship tips right there and um so let's hope for the future uh, so a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. Where do you see healthcare technology and digital health going in the next 10 years? So that's an interesting question, but a difficult one because I don't know how the coronavirus has changed yeah, things. Yeah, of course. Because um, there was a, I mean, there's a lot of predictions for the next five or 10 years um, in Wired a lot of experts, Daniel Kraft, he's, he's quite, he's from actually the UK, he's from London, but he's moved to California and he works there now. Um, I follow him, he's, he'd be someone good to follow if you're interested in mm-hmm. future technologies on Twitter, um, just search Daniel Kraft. Um, and they were talking about how doctors will be augmented with technology. So in terms of non-consumer tech, which is technology used in hospitals and patients, how everything would slowly shift to being remote um, and you'd have more sophisticated sensors for home monitoring. Um, you'd look at 
correlation between people's DNA. So you'd have your DNA test done at birth and um, then your susceptibilities that say if you're more likely to get obese or whatever. Obviously, most of it is lifestyle, but that component that is genetic. You'd have that kind of heads up. Love debate around that as well. Um, so there's kind of this stream of genomics, um, kind of augmentation through like AI, collecting more and more data so we can work out more correlations of, of why things are happening when they're happening. So predictive medicine being turned there and then monitoring people from home and not having them come in, working on prevention, incentivizing people to be healthier. So a lot of um, insurance firms, I think, in the States are working on that kind of model. So how can we almost use the term reward people to be healthy? Are there other incentivization schemes such as paying people, giving them rewards, mm-hmm. uh, coupon discounts to change their behavior? And I think that's partnerships with wearables. So I think that's what we were moving towards in kind of um, the tech space and health. But because of COVID, um, I think what's happened is telemedicine is the one that's that's the front runner. Um, telemedicine has been around for a long time, um, and it was getting more traction recently. Um, but it was still having its struggles because doctors were like, "We need to see our patient in person." Um, we need to examine them. Uh, people weren't willing to move from their traditional practices. But now I'm telling you, I've got some friends who've got telemedicine startups. It's it's completely the opposite. They're overwhelmed. The number of doctors who are desperately reaching out to be working on these platforms mm. is unprecedented. Using the word they use every single day on the news. Like it's generally unprecedented. Um, yeah. um, and, these, and telemedicine has become the go-to thing right now so it's, it's basically accelerated things by about three years three or four years um for sure um the uptake is incredible right now um mm-hmm. and these patients are realizing it can really help them when they have a small of a problem obviously sometimes they don't want to burden doctors i mean when i was in the gp practice patients didn't want to come in for small things then some would so it was very based on the individual and some people, the off-putting factors were like you talk about socioeconomic. I mean, you don't want to spend money to commute to your doctor, time you have if you're working a busy job, if you've got a family, it can be difficult. So I think it helps a lot more people if we can use technology, people who might not want to leave their house, people with mental health. I, I, had, um, I, I was seeing a patient who was, who was quite anxious and didn't want to go for psycho um, the psychotherapy help that we were offering because they didn't want to leave the house. But if that can be delivered through his uh, his smart device, it's, be- it's it's a lot better. Like I'm not doing studies on if in-person psychotherapy is better or virtual, but if he's not going to these in-person things, uh, that's that's a zero. But if he can get help regularly through virtual therapy, that's better than nothing. He Absolutely. is getting the help, the support. He's being tracked. Um, but the alternative wasn't available at the moment. So I think these things will be looked at now because we've realized that we have to be ready for these things. If something like this happens again, we have to have the systems in place that we can automatically be able to work from work remotely. Exactly. We need to have the tools ready and at our disposal, for yeah. sure. And, and so that's where it's going. So I think in five, ten years, medicine will be very different. It, we'll be using... I think there'll be a lot of devices that you can clip onto your smartphone to, to examine your ear, your eye. Um, they're already devices available, but they're a bit expensive right now. And obviously everyone can't afford that. I think mm-hmm. most people... So maybe there might be a hub where you can, you know, like, like you take an ECG monitor. 
Yeah. You can take it home. Maybe if you're having problems, they can like, because the prescriptions are being delivered now. Echo is one of the companies which are delivering to your door. It's like you deliver Amazon parcels. <laughs> so even my GP now, within the last few weeks, I've been able to, my asthma inhalers, I've been able to go on the app, um, put my request in, and then they triage and work out, okay, do we need to have a phone console or not? And then they just literally tell you prescriptions ready. Now with Echo, it can be delivered to your home. So we're seeing the, the consumerization of health people demand it because they want to be able to be well and it, i think it, it helps doctors as well i mean they can help triage things that they need to see versus things they can deal with completely and israel are quite a leading light in that space as well yeah. i saw how they were handling the home testing kits for people who suspect they have covid and they were able to take their own heart rate their own sats um, all these incredible measures, they were able to do it all on their own at home with the kids. Which is amazing. Yeah. Right? Because you're in charge. Put on an ECG. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. And you can just, before, traditionally be like, wow, what's that now? Because if we can learn such complicated things as humans, why can't patients be able to have more insight how these things work? I agree. I, mean, I agree. A patient has a lot more time to be looking into themselves 24-7 and picking up um, problems that are happening. And um, the Apple Watch started to report people AF as well. Wow, and that was quite it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah self-care activation is key. And um, yes, patients are consumers of healthcare, but at the end of the day, it's a working relationship you have with your clinician. Yeah. We're moving away from traditional hierarchical, Hierarchy, I'm the doctor, yeah. this is patriarchal, I'm telling you what to do. Your working relationship, you have to bring something to the table as well to you know optimize your care. So optimize, yeah. really amazing cars more than ourselves and there's a problem there <laughs> <laughs> the MOT we're like obsessed with that oh, goodness <laughs> me so um, to finish off uh, besides O-Waves are you working on anything else or any upcoming exciting projects you want to tell our listeners about um, so at the moment um, I, I'm just, just with O-Waves focusing on that um, I'm actually um, so I always get excited by new startups and want to get involved but at the moment i've been trying to actually um turn down my distractions from a lifestyle medicine perspective sure a bit more focus um because um i think i had a lot of broad interests and i threw myself into so many things while still trying to train clinically um and um i think there's a point where you need to try and start streamlining things and i think i'm at that point so um at the moment, I'm just focusing on those things. I'm trying to acquire a few more skills in the space of computer science. So I'm looking at different programs um, where I can kind of learn a bit more um, whilst I have some time. Um, and then I guess the focus will be working out um, public health training, if, if I go into that, or GP training. Because um, you're F3, right? Your foundation yeah, year so three. F3. Brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's an exploration phase, I would say. Yeah, such an exciting, very unique journey compared to other clinicians. You've got quite a cool pathway ahead of you. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Look, definitely. You're with the times. You're very up to date with everything that's changing. So, M- Must be Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> really good and so just for a bit of fun, um, now that we're at the end, what would be your last supper and your ideal meal, so your favourite starter, main and dessert to have? I knew this question was coming up. <laughs> I'm still not prepared for it. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a good, that's an interesting one because 
I don't think I actually have a favorite because I just like so many different things. Does it have to be healthy? No, it's your last supper. You you know you might not live to see another day. Okay. Well, <laughs> then I would, then I would just like not have starters <laughs> to the main course. Fair um, enough. And double up on that. So I think I'm a big fan of steak. Um, I love steak. So it'd be some form of steak um, as, as a main course. Um, I'm also a big fan of um, pasta. So um, am I. Coming <laughs> from London, actually, Vapiano. Like, I really like their chicken pasta because I went a lot with my friends. But I've heard Vapiano closing down. I don't know if that'll be available on my last supper. Because <laughs> of COVID, yeah. I think there were some rumors. I don't know if they're true. Um, and as a dessert, I would say um, I'm actually, I really like a cookie dough um, from pizza, actually. So yummy. So it's not that exotic, but <laughs> I like the contrast between the, the, the heat and cold foods. I like what that creates, um, hot and cold at the same time. I'm with you, yeah. I think, I think it really kind of, um, your taste buds, I don't know how they react, I really find that enjoyable. It's a nice sensation, for sure. Yeah. Well, that sounds very yummy, nice home comforts there with the cookie dough. And I just want to say a big thank you for coming on today. We've talked about just about everything and I think you've really shed a light on what's to come with the future of medicine and the exciting innovations in digital health. So big thank you. Um, could you tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to uh, follow your story? Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Um, so to follow me, you can find me on LinkedIn at uh, Dr. Saheb Imtiaz. Um, you can also find me on Twitter um, at the digital doctor within the doctor that always a zero. I think the handle was already taken. And um, on Instagram, you can follow me um, so my name is the Digital Doctor, but my username is at Dr. Dr. Sahib, S-O-H-A-I-B-I-M-T-I-A-Z, M-T-I-A-Z, so that's my full name. Um, so that's my Instagram handle. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, um, not on TikTok yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, you are, not yet. <laughs> Great. Hope to have you on soon. Bye. Nutritank are proud to have featured on many of the UK's leading networks and publications. Woo-hoo! Jamie Oliver's website and his Channel 4 show, Jamie and Jimmy's Friday Night Feast. BBC News, BBC Radio 4 on Sheila Dillon's The Food Programme, Women's Health, BBC Bristol and the Royal Society of Medicine. Nutritank is an innovative information hub of food, nutrition and lifestyle medicine, promoting the need for greater nutrition and lifestyle medicine education within healthcare training and empowering members of the public to improve their health. Join the movement to bring greater nutrition and lifestyle medicine education nationwide. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Remember, if you want to find more about Nutritank, visit the website, nutritank.com. Also, find us on Twitter, nutritank underscore info, and Instagram, nutritank underscore official. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It will really help with our mission at Nutritank to be the leading hub for food, nutrition, and lifestyle medicine. Bye for now.